We have, uh, we have the privilege of worshiping together one more time and hearing the word one more time from uh, Dr. Harold Graves, the president of the college. Uh, God's been speaking to me through him. How about you? Amen. Good. So let's, as we sing and pray and anticipate, let's, um, let's let our hearts do the listening they need to do and our minds do the processing they need to do and our spirits uh, do the responding that they need to do because we are being transformed into Christ-likeness. Amen. Amen? Okay, say that with me. We are being transformed into Christ-likeness. want us to sing a little bit about the person, the one who's making that possible. You said if we thirsted after you, it would be satisfied in you. And if we hungered after you, you would fill that hunger with yourself. We give you praise. We give you thanks. For the reality of that, for the promise of that, for all that you have in store for us, we open ourselves to you again in new ways and in a new time to be fed, for our thirst to be quenched, for our hearts to be yours. We want to be like you. Thank you for making that possible and for making it so. Amen. You may be seated. Good job, ladies. Most mornings, I like to wake up with a nice cold glass of judging others. Something about being slightly superior to other people really gets my day going. Some days, I look out my window and judge the people outside. Some days, I'll pick up a tabloid from the supermarket so I can judge celebrities. I bring a pocket atlas to work with me so that on my coffee break, I can judge the people of Uruguay and other countries with odd names. On Sundays, I judge the non-churchgoers as I drive to church. Then I get to church and judge the people in there, too. God must be really pleased with me, since He is the ultimate judge, and I am following in His footsteps. I can't wait to hear Him tell me how proud He is of me. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they ask his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn 
what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In the Ragamuffin Gospel, which if you have never read that book, it must be on your to-read list. Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning, he writes these words. Here is revelation bright as the evening star. Jesus comes for sinners, for those as outcast as tax collectors, and for those caught up in squalid choices and failed dreams. He comes for corporate executives, street people, superstars, farmers, hookers, addicts, IRS agents, and AIDS victims. Jesus I knew this was going to be a problem. Jesus not only talks with these people but dines with them, fully aware that his table fellowship with sinners will raise the eyebrows of religious bureaucrats who hold up the robes and insignia of their authority to justify their condemnation of the truth and their rejection of the gospel of grace. In the gospels, we learn that Jesus had an inclusive spirit compelled by transformational love. One character in the Bible that I'm most fond of is Zacchaeus. Can you imagine why? <laughs> and we read that Jesus entered Jericho and was, and this is key, was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, tax collector, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. You see, this, this passage says Jesus was passing through Jericho when he noticed Zacchaeus sitting or standing in a tree. Evidently, the word had spread that Jesus was coming. And Zacchaeus must have arrived a little late for a front row view. I can, I can understand that. Because every year when we had uh, the Christmas parade in downtown Nashville, Tennessee, my family being those vertically challenged always arrived early so that we would get a spot on the curb. But Zacchaeus missed it. And he wanted to see who this Jesus was. What kind of man is this who has performed such miracles? What does he look like? You have to wonder what would have motivated a wealthy man to climb a tree. Something about Zacchaeus caught the attention of Jesus and he said, come down, I want to go home with you. Of course, everyone in town knew this robber and, and reprobate and asked why a holy man would choose to go to the house of such a sinner. Now why? I submit to you because Jesus was compelled by an inclusive spirit of transformational love and grace. He saw something in Zacchaeus that no one else saw. Not even Zacchaeus himself. So Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. On another occasion, Jesus was teaching in the temple courts when the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in the very act of adultery. They put her on public display, making her stand before everyone in the temple courts. They made their charge against her. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Of course, they were trying to trap Jesus and using this woman as bait. Scripture says that Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. They kept after Jesus, adding to the humiliation of the woman. I can only imagine that the commotion added to the frenzy of the crowd in the temple that day. But Jesus, Jesus kept his head down, writing with his finger. They kept on questioning him until he finally straightened up and said... If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone at her. With that, Jesus went back to writing on the ground. The scripture says they began to leave. The older ones first, followed by the younger ones, until no one was left but Jesus and the woman. Jesus straightened up, the scripture says, and he asked her, Woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, Jesus clearly understood the charge that was brought against the woman. Jesus knew the penalty of the law. And we see in this passage that he did not excuse her sin. But he reached out to her with transformational love and grace. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. I have asked, what would have happened to that woman if her fate had been left in the hands of the religious leaders? Jesus was having dinner in the home of a Pharisee when a woman of sinful reputation learned that Jesus was there. She made her way into the house and moved through the crowd until she reached the place where Jesus was reclining. She was overcome with emotion. Her life of sin had met with hope. Her tears ran off of her chin onto the feet of Jesus. She knelt and began to wipe his wet feet with her hair. She absolutely could not contain herself as she began to kiss his feet and to pour perfume on them. The religious people were appalled. Who let her in? What is she doing? Doesn't Jesus know what kind of woman this is? Why doesn't he stop her? Why doesn't he put her in her place? Someone should step in and stop this nonsense before it gets out of hand. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman, Simon? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins, your sins 
are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman found faith and forgiveness and a future of peace through Jesus. While others ridiculed and rejected her, she found in Jesus transformational love and grace. Philip Yancey writes in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, Jesus was the friend of sinners. They liked being around him and longed for his company. Meanwhile, legalists found him shocking, even revolting. And then he asked this pertinent question to us today. What was Jesus' secret that we have lost? Perhaps we have been guilty of boxing God in with our own preconceived ideas of who he is. What do we believe about God? Do we believe that God loves unconditionally? Do we believe that God loves all persons? That he loves the loveless, the unloving, and the unlovable? Brennan Manning in Lion and the Lamb writes, Now, unlike ourselves, the Father of Jesus loves men and women, not for what he finds in them, but for what lies within himself. It is not because men and women are good that he loves them, nor only good men and women that he loves. It is because he is so unutterably good that he loves all persons. The apostle John cries out, God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What this says simply is that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is gracious his love is gratuitous in a way that defies our imagination. If we believe that God loves conditionally, then we not only box God out, but we box the gospel up by our misguided opinions. We will limit the scope and hope of the gospel. We will see people as undesirable and unreachable. We will become legalistic and rigid in our own faith. My brothers and sisters, this is the good news of the gospel. The religious image of a vindictive, mean, and jealous God gives way in Jesus to the God of faith who cherishes people, all people, and has made his abode with them. 
A God who forgives instead of condemning and liberates instead of punishing. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. If we believe that God loves conditionally, then we box God in, we box the gospel up, and we also box people out by our prejudices. I have lived long enough to see the hurt and wounds and injustices that religious people have done to each other. All in the name of God. I tell you tonight that the spiritual landscape is littered with people who have been pushed out, ostracized, and obliterated by the prejudices of religiosity. But John writes, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we want love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. I was at a district assembly. It was a Kansas City district. And Dr. Jaron Ryle gave his report to that district assembly. With his permission, I am sharing a part of that report to illustrate what I am driving at in this message. He writes, When we get serious about making disciples in our going, it will inevitably lead us to some out-of-the-box, not normal, stretch the limits, and even make us blush kind of strategies that put us in contact with the very people Jesus seemed to hang out with. One of the most remarkable strategies I've ever seen comes through the obedient, radical love of a group of Nazarenes in Gardner, Kansas, who decided that God was calling them to find a way to let the people at two local gentlemen's clubs know that Jesus loves them. I want you to hear this remarkable story, he writes, and just so you don't miss the point, when they talk about going to the clubs, it's the women of the church who go and reach out to the girls who work there. Really? W would Jesus really lead his holy people into this kind of engagement with the world? He said, I have a letter here from the owner of one of these clubs. Listen to what it says. I grew up thinking 
that religion was all about control of other people and if you didn't fit the mold you were thrown to the other side of the line. Either you're a good person or a bad person. They criticize you if you don't follow their rules even if you didn't know the rules. From what I know of Jesus I thought he talked to all people and did not judge them but explain what they should be doing and let them figure out what they needed to change. If you paid any real attention at all to Jesus' parables, you realize that they were not nice little stories to help people understand things better. As one writer said, if you want to begin to understand these parables, you need to ask yourself, what would you kill somebody for telling, why would you kill somebody for telling this story? And he writes, loved ones, are we willing for the model of Jesus to become more nice stories we tell on Sunday? Are we willing actually to enact the life of Jesus in the dark corners of our world? I want you to hear, I want you to lock in on this. The club owner continues to write. Since Aaron and the ladies from the church started coming, I've had two people ask me what I know about religion and that they were never taught anything about God. So I told both they could call and these people would be glad to help with their questions without judging. Not in a million years, he writes, would I have thought I would be sending friends to church people to learn about God. And then he concludes, thanks for giving us a chance to see another side of religion. Now, like Jaron, I'm not suggesting that all churches or all students should seek this type of ministry fact you should not do it unless God directs that's the point this isn't about coming up with a good idea this is about living in obedience to the direction of the Spirit who will teach us how to make disciples in our going you see we're talking about a level of engagement in the disciple-making mission of our Lord that goes way beyond our gatherings on Sunday and our programs that mostly are about making us happy. We're talking about a level of engagement with our world that is costly, dangerous, and forces us on our knees in utter dependency upon the Holy Spirit. I can't say it to you any better than this next video. When's it going to happen? Here I am. There you are. Here I am, desperate for love, for truth. What are you going to do when you leave this building? Are you going to share with me what you've been learning here today? 
or are you just going to bottle it up and pull it out next week for your friends? Now when I say share, I'm not talking about every tactic you've used on me in the past, like judging my every move, telling me I'm a bad person, pointing fingers, giving me disgusting looks. <laughs> and my favorite is when you tell me that I'm lost. I don't even know what that means to be lost. Do you really think judging me is going to make me change? Would it make you change? Now, I, I know I'm a bad person. I've, I've done bad things, but I don't need you to tell me that. What I need is for you to pick me up when I fall down, to be there when I'm broken. Yes, there's, there's something missing in me. There's a void in my heart that I don't know how to fill. You have it. You have that thing that makes you whole. You know that person that I need to know. So I'm watching your every move. I'm watching where you go and what you say and do. Because I'm desperate for something real. I need something genuine to know that there's something more here than this. I mean, this, this can't be it, really. And I think you know that. Listen to me. I need you. I need you to be here for me. I need you to walk out right now, ready and willing to do whatever it takes. It's, it may not be comfortable. It may not be easy. But I need you to show me love. No matter the cost, show me what unconditional love really looks like. Stop telling me about this God of yours and show me who he really is. Honestly, I'll probably resist you. I'll probably argue with you and laugh at you. I'll, you know, even when you fall, I'll probably call you a hypocrite. But don't give up on me. Please don't give up on me. So I'm going to ask you, when's it going to happen? So when is it going to happen? When is the church going to say that to be like Jesus is to have an inclusive spirit compelled by transformational love. Just a sidebar and we're going to sing. I think for some time now the church has been sidetracked. We have spent a lot of time insulating ourselves 
and isolating ourselves. And hoping some new little program that we might start in our church would attract this young lady. And I submit to you tonight that the thing that the world needs is the love of our Lord that has so radically transformed us. And we don't give it this way. But I submit to you, we give it this way. Christ-likeness is a simple obedience. Servant's heart and an inclusive spirit. The only thing I would ask you tonight in going is this. If you're willing to say, Lord, give me the eyes of Jesus that I might see the world the way he sees the world. Give me the heart of Jesus that would serve that world the way he would serve that world. Give me a spirit of obedience to the will of the Father of Jesus that I might follow his way all the Mondays. If you're willing to say tonight, give me Jesus' eyes, we're going to open this for a place of prayer. And I believe, I believe that when we earnestly seek, he will provide. He will indeed help us to see homeless that'll be stranded in winter. The attic that so needs to be changed. He will help us to see them through the eyes of the one who can change them. We're going to sing. I don't know what we're going to sing, but we're going to sing. We're going to open the altar for us to come and to say, give me fresh eyes. Give me fresh eyes to see the world differently. Let's stand. Maybe there's someone here that you would like to come and pray behind and just place your hand on their back. Someone would just like to step out and pray with someone here. join me in praying to the Father of Jesus. Father, thank you tonight for loving us.
loving us so much that you sent Jesus into this world that we might see what you are really like. That we might know what you are really like. And tonight, Father, we're convinced more than ever of your great love for your creation. Every child born in this world you know by name and you love more than we can ever begin to understand. Father, I pray tonight that you would give us the eyes of Jesus. Lord, I confess tonight it is, it is so easy. It is so easy to box you in, box the gospel up box people out. It's so easy to judge and be critical. If people don't believe it the way I do or see it the way I do. I'm asking tonight, Lord, that in my life you would give me fresh eyes see the broken and the hurting of this world the way you see them. I guess, Father, the thing I would say tonight is I'm so thankful for your transformational love and grace that you are all about transforming us as fallen as we are into the image of your son, Jesus. And that's what we want. It's what I want. I believe that's what we all want tonight, Father. So do the work in us that is necessary so that we are formed into Christ-likeness. Bless our students and faculty, how we thank you for them. We are so honored and humbled to be in the presence of your called ones and to have the privilege of standing before them in classes and sharing what little experiences we have and pointing them to the great God that you are. So I pray a blessing on all of us tonight, student, teacher, support, 
Father, may your peace, your grace, and your love, and your favor be upon us all. We pray in the holy, majestic name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming tonight.